Welcome to Good Better Best Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Jamie, and I'm a business and sales trainer and a mindset coach. And what makes me qualified to coach you is my 25 years experience in education, product, and service-based industries while working with hundreds of clients, writing three books, and hosting two radio shows. This is a podcast where you can learn how to develop a win-forever continuous improvement mindset market and grow your business, and improve your skills by studying the most successful businesses and practices in the world. Let me show you the proven successful methods that will help you go from good to better and from better to best and beyond. Well, welcome to the Good Better Best podcast. What's my story introduction? Uh, Good Better Best podcast was originally created to summarize uh, what I have learned from some of the best books I've read, uh, seminars that I've attended, speakers that I've listened to in uh, various forms of technology. And and, and our intention was to help, uh, especially salespeople that are in their car and on their go, um, to, to help people uh, get off to a, a good start in the day or possibly even in the middle of the day, just kind of recharge or, you know, rejuvenate themselves and just just have a, a, a little pep talk, if it were. And but not just a, only a motivational pep talk, but a, actually something that had uh, some some meat behind it. And so the idea of uh, the Good, Better, Best podcast was to have these short clips uh, and provide a way of, again, constantly improving from good to better, from better to best, and from best and beyond. And to be able to do that in 10 minutes or less. And so I uh, really enjoyed uh, taking the concepts from uh, my book, Good, Better, Best, and my book, Do Better, and synthesizing them into uh, 10-minute little snacks for the Good, Better, Best podcast. But now we want to pivot and we want to take a look at some of the stories. And it's important that we uh, spend some time to really ask questions and, and to glean, to glean from those who have gone before us. And so what's my story is inspired by one of my favorite podcasts called How I Built This. Uh, How I Built This is from NPR, Guy Raz. He's the host, and he he dives into the stories uh, behind some of the world's best-known companies. Uh, so how I built this weaves a narrative journey about innovators, entrepreneurs, uh, idealists, and, and movements that, that they built. And, and he does it in about an hour. And so I particularly enjoy listening to these podcasts, let's say if I have an hour drive, or if I'm working outside. And so for my Saturdays, I kind of get excited to load up some of the uh, how I built this podcast so that I can be encouraged, um, so that I can be uh, stimulated and and really just glean from the real experiences, again, of some of the best companies in the world. I uh, got a kick out of learning that the uh, owner of Atari is also the owner of Chuck E. Cheese and how those two industries really had 
some similarities. I loved learning about the start of Kate Spade or, uh, you know, um, so there's so many different businesses that you would recognize uh, Peloton and Panera's Bread and uh, Five Guys Burgers. And so I learned from those experiences and I always wanted to uh, share the experiences that I personally learned from. Uh, early in my career, I was a uh, sales rep for Money Mailer, which was a, a coupon marketing and advertising company. We worked with small business owners, services, uh, retail spaces, and I really got in the habit of asking the owners about what their story was. I I grew up in Los Angeles area in LA. We have you know over four hundred uh, different uh, countries that are represented. Uh, it, it goes up and down, um, but most of my most of my clients, most of my accounts were actually foreign born people, and so when I got to know them, I started asking them about their story. How did they get here? Why did they come to America? What was the the pathway as it were? And so I wanted to create my own version of that. And I wanted to continue that process. And I really wished that I had had the foresight and the technology to uh, to record all those different conversations. I must have had over 200 uh, real conversations. And one of the things that, that I love about business, that I love about on entrepreneurialism, what I love about uh, small businesses in America is these are the people who are living the American dream. And, and look, there's, there's no one way. There, there's no cookie cutter path. And, and college isn't for everybody. But, but I want to encourage you that you don't have to come from money. You don't have to be a certain race. You don't have to have the advantages of the world. In fact, you could have every disadvantage possibly known to mankind. And you know what? You can make it. And, and, and America is the best place to live. America is the land of hope. It is the land of opportunity. It's the land of freedom. And if you don't understand that, then, then you need to do more research because there's a reason why there's a line and, and there's a reason why people are fighting to get into this country from every other country in the world. And the reason is because we're the best. We offer the best opportunities. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we can't improve. Of course we can. But you know what? This is the place to be. And I want to share those experiences one by one. I'm going to hit the streets. I'm going to interview local business owners. And I'm going to ask them their story that, so that you can understand where they came from and how they made it. And that should encourage you. Because we all have different gifts, different talents. And at the end of the day, we are not created equal, but we all have an equal opportunity. Of course, that doesn't mean we're going to have an equal outcome. Some people will be more successful than others, but we all have an equal opportunity to make it our way.
And so I wanted to even just give you a couple quick little glimpses in this introduction to what's my story. And, and it's from my personal experiences uh, as a, a marketing consultant, as a sales rep, and even as a franchise owner in my various experiences. And so one of the first people that I interviewed was a, a young man and he was very sharp and he was Korean. He was born in Korea and he owned a pet company of all things. CNC Pet Company in Northridge and Chatsworth. And, and what I found odd was he didn't seem particularly interested in animals. He wasn't an animal lover. He really didn't spend time on the floor. Really, it was mostly spent in his office. And so when I started asking him about where he came from and how he, he got to America, it was very interesting because his father was actually a... Uh, in government in Korea and the the split of North and South Korea really uh, set in motion a regime change and his father had to flee he had to flee persecution um, political persecution and so this was not an ignorant man this was not a a pauper but when he came to America he had to start all over he had to start all over everything was taken away from him and, and, and so his father came to America and started from scratch. And one of the, the, the places that he found himself was at a pet store. And so he just had the vision of, well, I don't want to just be a worker. I'm an owner. And so he saved up his money. He worked hard, had two or three jobs and bought his first uh, pet store. By the time I met Ken, his pet store was you know one of those big box pet stores uh, except he was an independent which I thought was extremely um, interesting because he obviously was successful and and so I wanted to know more I wanted to know we're, you know was, we, we hear all the time do what you love do what you love and no Ken did not love pets uh, and when I asked him about that I said you know what I love I love money now, you don't hear that kind of straightforward, you know, just uh, blatant, you know, thinking anymore. But it's refreshing because the truth is, why do we work? We work to earn a living for our families. We work to make money. You know what? It's okay to make money. It's okay to love making money. Uh, money just can't be your God, right? Money can't. Uh, be more important than people and money can't be something that you obtain uh, fraudulently and so but if you have a, a, a great work ethic and um, and a hunger and thirst to provide for your family there's nothing wrong with with loving money in that sense and so Ken definitely did and uh, it was just a, a very encouraging moment for me to see that wow a family could lose everything and rebound and and get back on their feet. It was, it was a beautiful thing. And the last time I talked to Ken, he was pivoting not only from his pet store to, to developing new, new food products for dogs, which I, I thought was just amazing. Uh, the, the, the second person I want to talk about, which probably had the biggest influence on, on my business career was Mr. Lewis. And Mr. Lewis owned this McDonald's and he owned this one location in McDonald's and 
in my territory, I had probably 50 McDonald's locations that we were trying to get that account to handle their direct mail marketing and advertising. It would have been a fantastic account financially, but even more importantly, it was the name recognition and the association with McDonald's that was going to help our business grow uh, for, for our other accounts, our other clients. Not only just uh, would McDonald's be kind of a, you know, a, a beacon for other advertisers, but really a beacon for consumers. And so if we had more consumers that were interested in our coupon packet, uh, then we could sell more advertising to other uh, businesses because they would get more business because of McDonald's. And so I had been all over town and, and learned a lot about the McDonald's organization. I learned that, you know, most of the locations in our area were independently owned, but they were independently owned by individuals who owned more than three locations. And so when we would ask the question, is this a corporate or a franchise? A lot of the employees were confused because, you know, Tony Jamie could own five McDonald's. And so it's the Tony Jamie Corporation. And that's what's on their paycheck, Tony Jamie Corporation, not McDonald's. And so it was a corporation, but it was a franchise corporation, an independent franchisee who incorporated and owned five. And so it took some time to really figure out, well, you know, who owned five locations, who owned three locations, who owned eight locations, and who's in charge? Who, who was there one person that handled all the advertising? Did they do it together or did they do it individually? And when I found out that there was actually one guy who was in charge of about 50 of the locations in the San Fernando Valley. And Mr. Lewis, he, he was that one guy. What I also discovered and found out was Mr. Lewis had one little location and which seemed odd to me because why is the guy who only owns one, why is he the one dictating the terms to the guys that own eight? Well, after month upon month, knocking on the door, making phone calls, dropping off my business cards, um, I was just getting nowhere. And then one day out of the blue, he called me and very abruptly, very rudely, you know, he just kind of very to the point, you need me come see me tomorrow at 10 click. I was like, wow. I mean, that's, oh, well, okay. I mean, you know, this is McDonald's after all. So I showed up next day at 10 o'clock and I, you know, stayed up all night, putting together a proposal, his store, 50 stores, the whole, you know, had examples from all over the country of, of ads that we were and campaigns that we were working with other McDonald's locations. And, you know, I was going to, you know, I was about 22 and I was going to really, really uh, impress Mr. Lewis. So I walk in there and he just bullied me around. He, threw, he just said, sit down. This is the ad you're going to do. We're going to be in the window, which was our prime position. You're not going to charge us any more for it. In fact, we're only going to pay half the price. And, you know, we're going to start with, uh, uh, you know, with 10 stores, I think it was at the time. Now, at, at the time, there was two thoughts in my mind. Well, great, I've got the account one, but wow, this is like small. It's, it's not the scope that I had hoped for. And 
oh boy, he's really throwing me around on price. I'm going to have to get so many uh, exceptions to this pricing. I don't even know if I can do it, but you know, I went with my gut instincts and I said, okay, you know, I just, I said, okay. And we signed this little ten, you know, and usually we signed a one year agreement. We only signed a one time agreement, which was a big no, no in our industry. But I just kind of took the bull by the horns. I was just a sales rep. And so honestly, I really didn't have the final authority to do it, but, but I did it. I, I took the gamble, figured it was better to ask for you know, forgiveness than permission, and we move forward. It was a great campaign at the end of the day, and from that point forward, uh, Mr. Lewis and I developed a relationship, and he was always pretty abrupt, um, but he started softening, and I finally mustered up the courage to ask him, what's your story? Um, how is it that everybody has so much respect for you? How, why is it that everybody follows you? Uh, you know, how did you get to this point? And, and I knew part of it was his age. What I didn't know was, uh, you know, he sat me down and he said, look, have you ever heard of South Carolina? And I said, yeah, I've, I've heard of it. And he whipped out this cigar and we were in this, his office was a tiny little office and one in his McDonald's location. And it was about a four by four box, really. We barely fit in there, and he whips out the cigar and lights it up. And uh, as he's asking me if I've ever heard of South Carolina, he looks at me and goes, "I own it." <laughs> I was like, what, what, "What do you mean you own it?" And he's like, "I own it." And he goes, "Every single McDonald's in South Carolina, I own." And I just thought, "Wow." So I mean, we were talking about you know, what, three, 400 locations. What I discovered was uh, Ray Kroc had set up his uh, corporate office in San Diego and he would bring the uh, McDonald's franchisees to corporate meetings and, um, you know, conferences. And when, when Mr. Lewis's wife discovered Southern California, she, that was it. And so from that point forward, she wanted to live in California, so Mr. Lewis, being the diligent working man that he was, uh, had one location, you know, and he went to that location every day. He worked all day long, and he ran his South Carolina operations from that. But he was a legend. He was a really a, a big gun, and he taught me a lot about how to market. He taught me how to how to understand your margins. I. Um, I went in one time and thought, all right, I'm going to, here's a campaign. You know, you guys are always giving away Big Macs and, you know, why don't we, we make a deal on the soda instead? And he looked at me and he said, you fool, all our margins are in the Coke. The, the cup costs more than the soda. And so I, I learned about margins. I learned, you know, where you can discount. I learned about what's called loss leader. So you know, in McDonald's formula, they figured if we can get people, you know, eating fries, if we can get them having a Big Mac, and uh, then if they buy the soda, then we'll make all our margin. And so it was, it was a great learning tool. I learned about how they use, they, they have a three-pronged approach at all times where they always wanted to be advertising in, you know, radio, TV, print, billboard, uh, coupons. They, they wanted three campaigns going at the same time. They could alternate them, 
but they always wanted three. Uh, another great uh, story and example was uh, Leo. Leo was uh, Russian, and uh, Leo had two brothers and three cousins, and uh, they all had had come from Russia during, you know, part of the turmoil in, in Russia. And they, they again, they all came here with nothing. They came here with with just the clothes on their back. Uh, the brothers, the cousins, the men came first. Uh, they all lived in one house. They pulled all their money together, and it just so happened the first job that they discovered that they could get, and it was easy, and uh, they were able to get tips, was being was being um, Domino's Pizza delivery men of all things, and so here are these five brothers coming to America, coming to, you know, to live the American dream, and they're pizza delivery men. Well, what they discovered was, and they learned about was. Uh, the business of pizza and they learned the margins of pizza you can make a pizza for about a dollar fifty and you know you could sell a pizza for you know thirteen to fifteen dollars and so the margins were good and you know the tips were good and so uh, they decided okay we're gonna pull all our money together and we're gonna buy our own location not a Domino's because they don't want to pay the franchise fee but they found a uh, a local it was called pizza man chain Pizza Man had about 20 locations, and at one time, uh, this one man had built it up, but he uh, got old and retired and sold them off individually, and so they had the Pizza Man name, but they were really, you know, all independent, and so the brothers were able to kind of buy in at the, at the lowest possible to become a Pizza Man owner, slowly each one of them uh, owned their own Pizza Man a chain or location and then uh, after you know a, a few years the brothers were able to pull together and, and they they bought the chain and so they were now essentially the corporate owners of the pizza man chain and who do you think they hired and who do you think they brought in they were aggressive and they found other Russians that uh, were very interested in pizza man locations and so it was really cool I, I enjoyed working with them uh, in fact, we got to the point where they offered me one of their locations. Uh, I would do the advertising and they would give me a location and it was a fair deal. It was a good deal. It just wasn't something that I could do at the time since I was still, uh, you know, under 25. I hadn't, didn't know anything about the pizza industry and I didn't have a right hand man or anybody who I could trust to run the business. So, uh, but but I learned a lot from them. I learned that as a family, they rallied together. If you don't have anything, team up with somebody else who doesn't have anything. Work together, pull your money, save, 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 work, work, work. These guys were hard workers, very, very hard workers and uh, really loved uh, hearing their story. Another example was Yosef. Yosef was uh, Israeli. He was born in Israel. And he owned uh, a dry cleaning business. In fact, he had three locations. And one of the things I learned from Yosef was this idea of, of being a wholesaler. And so most people don't realize, but when you take your dry cleaning into one of the little locations, they call that an agency when they don't actually clean the clothes on the premises. 
And so what Yosef did and several others like him was they would buy one dry cleaning location that had the machines and, and then they would open up uh, two or three other locations that didn't have the machines. So when you would take your clothes in, they would take all those clothes, drive them back over in a van to their one location, their wholesale location where they would clean all the clothes and then they would you know, take them back. The customer really didn't know where the clothes were being cleaned as long as they could get them and at a great price, that's all they cared about. And so Yosef not only had his three locations, but he wholesaled for other dry cleaning um, you know, businesses. And so he had probably about 20 different locations that he was servicing. And so it was very interesting because Yosef was a very intelligent man, very articulate. And I thought it odd that he owned a dry cleaning business. And, and, and that's something I want you to understand, that there is no shame in any type of business. Kind of going back to Ken at CNC Pet. He didn't love pets. He loved money. He loved business. Yo- Yosef didn't you know, love dry cleaning. In fact, he, what he loved was tailoring. And, and he had an alteration studio in his... He was, he was a trained dry cleaner, and or not dry cleaner, a trained tailor, and he loved it. In fact, uh, he fitted me for a suit, and me, he made me you know, a, a suit from scratch once, and, and he loved it, and that was his passion, but what paid the bills was dry cleaning, and, and so he, he didn't look at it as dry cleaning. He looked at it as a business, and you know, one of the things I mentioned, he had multiple change, which, chains, which means he had vans. So then he started with me. We did some advertising. We would advertise for door-to-door service at homes. And then he pivoted again, and he started advertising for dry cleaning the pleats uh, on, on drapes in people's homes. And so very, very creative, very uh, industrious guy and uh, loved our conversations and uh, he, he, he really taught me a lot about, you know, you can start small and, you know, one shop at a time, get bigger and bigger and bigger and grow. Uh, another really, I would say, friend was Yuri. Yuri was uh, Armenian. I grew up, I was very, very fortunate to have grown up in Glendale, California. There was a huge boom of Armenians who were fleeing um, persecution, religious persecution from the Russians. And, and so uh, this community of Armenians really flocked to a couple cities in America. You know, one was uh, uh, San, in, um, Fresno, California, but their Mecca was Glendale, California. In fact, we had the second largest population uh, by city of uh, any Armenian town, including the state of Armenia or the country of Armenia. So um, I thought that was really fascinating. And, And it was a great education for us growing up there because at the time we had the Iran crisis. Um, We were allies with Iraq and then Armenians were, were, you know, uh, fleeing to to California, to Glendale. And so as as a young, dumb American, I didn't know the difference between Iran, Iraq or Armenians. And you know what? We were not kind to the kids. We were not friendly to the kids. But we learned that they were very, very family oriented. They were very nice people, hardworking, uh, loved business, and 
uh, it was just really neat to uh, to see how they would take their skill and, and so Yuri took his skill um, that he had learned from his home country which was he, he was just a mechanic and, and, and I don't mean that to to you know be disparagingly but he was just a mechanic in Armenia by coming to America he was able to fulfill his dream of owning his own shop of being his own boss and um, uh, you know Yuri he worked on my cars I, I, I took my cars to him uh, I bought cars from him uh, he was great he knew cars and and that was a great lesson for me to learn that it doesn't matter what your skill is uh, but look you could be a grunt worker with that skill or you could be an owner or you could be entrepreneurial you could be a franchise owner the sky's the limit who do you want to be and it was because of Yuri that I stopped thinking like a sales rep and and I had my first vision of you know what if Yuri could own his own repair shop then I can own my own franchise and at the time I didn't know how I was gonna do it but but I knew I want to be an owner I want to own my own franchise I want to be like like Leo and his his brothers and his cousins from Pizza Man I want to be like Joseph I want to be like Yuri and it was because of them they inspired me to finally see and and, and and fulfill and live the American dream and I'm American I was born here I'm Mexican American and I'm, and I'm only the third generation here but you know what I am an American and I was born here there's no reason why I couldn't thrive why I couldn't succeed if these guys could do it I can and I'm so thankful that that they were great examples to me Another one of my favorites was, was uh, Drago, Drago from Poland. And as you can imagine, yes, Drago got his name because he's, you know, strong. And, um, you know, during the, the Rocky series, you know, Drago was the, uh, was, was the villain, you know, he, in, in the Rocky Four, And so Drago was from Poland. And again, as, as a dumb American, we just don't think. See, Poland was part of the Eastern Bloc. You know, after World War II, when World War II ended, the Russians came in and they took over countries. They took over East Germany. They took over Czechoslovakia. They took over Poland. And, and they slowly went and took these countries, these free countries, and they moved from socialism to communism. And, and Drago used to tell me so much about how bad socialism was and how horrible communism was and, and and he spent time in jail because he didn't want to be a communist because he refused to join the communist party so they threw him in jail as an agitator and they beat him and they tortured him and and, and he he hated communism he understood that that communism and socialism took away freedom it took away opportunity and the only people who thrived were the the corrupt officials at the top they were the only ones who owned a house they were the only ones who could drive a car they were the only ones who had money and so it was a very very corrupt system and he warned me time and time again don't you ever ever 
uh, fall for the, the socialist lie. And so he, when he had an opportunity to, to escape and to, to get to America, he, he came to America and, and he found any kind of job he could and he had to learn the language and it, and it took him time to learn the language. Even, even to this day, he has a very, very strong, thick accent. But you know what? Drago had heart and, 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 and Drago loved America. He loved America. He loved that America took him in. He loved the family that sponsored him to bring him over here. He loved the freedom that America offered him. He, he didn't have air conditioning in Poland. He, he didn't have you know, a grocery store full of food. He didn't have options. He was told what to do, when to do, and how to do it. And so he loved the freedom of opportunity. And when he got the chance, he so desired to serve his country in the military. And Drago went on to become not only uh, you know, a, a, a patriot for us, not only one of our soldiers, but Drago went on to become a Navy SEAL. He was one of, a part of our elite special force units. A beautiful man, beautiful story who just could barely talk about his love for America without, without crying. And I can barely even think about him without getting choked up myself. Well, another example is Daniel Silas. Uh, Daniel Silas came from Argentina. And because he came from Argentina, he spoke fluent Spanish. And, and he came from Argentina with him and his new bride. And, you know, they... they just came with a you know a little bit of money in their pocket and with a beautiful dream and a vision and he was going to start a landscaping company and he was going to because he knew Spanish fluently uh, be able to have a workforce of of Mexican workers of Hispanic workers of South American workers and he started by you know he he made his his first investment was a lawnmower and he knocked on doors, door to door, and he would do the mow, blow, and go thing, right? You know what? For $30 a month, I'll come in once a week, I'll mow your lawn, I'll blow your lawn, and I'll go. And then he expanded it to other services, to landscaping services, to flowers, to sprinklers, to hardscaping. By the time I met uh, Daniel, he had 15 crews. He had over 30 people working for him. He had his own nursery. He was a successful American business story as a gardener, as a landscaper. But again, he had vision. He never looked at the gardening as minimal or, you know, just, just kind of, uh, you know, marginal work. That was a pathway. That was an opportunity. And so he took advantage of that. And then he helped his other, his workers become their own owners. He's very proud of that, that he w would, would help them get their own uh, accounts, get their own crews. And so that, that gave me the vision, that gave me the passion to, to say, you know what, how can I help other people grow in their business so that they're not just workers, but they're owners. And so Daniel gave me, gave me that vision, and that's why I wanted to become a franchise owner, and that's why I pivoted to, to actually buying and selling and consulting 
franchisees because I wanted people to be able to have ownership because if they had ownership they can maximize their money and they could support their families and so I thought that was a beautiful thing well finally I want to talk about um, my mom my mom is you know one of my heroes um, my mom wanted to you know raise her own children my mom wanted to be at home but we also needed the double income and so my dad was a, a you know a warehouse manager for uh, for fine china and you know he, he he provided for us but but mom wanted to be able to send us all to college and mom wanted to you know buy us all a car my brother and my sister and i and so she had a vision and she knew how to do this thing called medical transcription and medical transcribers they they type up the medical reports that the doctors uh, have to 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 write so every time anybody goes into for a medical visit uh, that that report has to be typed and so doctors will go into their office and and they'll talk into a microphone and then people will type up that report well that's what my mom did and she worked for you know you know major hospital in Los Angeles Kaiser and she had this idea of you know what I could get my own accounts I could get private accounts work for small individual uh, practices and, and you know medical clinics and so she talked to my dad and, and they set up a, a room in, in the house and she started her her own at-home business and mom in four short years was able to build that business that was just a job that was just a, a side hustle income a part-time thing into a six-figure annual business where we had up to you know 25 people uh, that were working for us that were working out of their homes and you know up to you know three major hospitals and clinics and pretty much mom had the biggest accounts in 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 the uh, San Fernando Valley area in the Los Angeles area it was pretty cool to watch her work um, to watch her get accounts to watch her uh, hire people to watch her manage people from our house from our house and that's where I got the vision of again that you know what you can own your own business and you know you don't have to have all the money in the world and you can run your business from your home and so mom was a mom she made you know our our lunches she cooked our meals she she did everything um, she could bring home the bacon and fry it up in the pan we she was never an absentee mom she was always always there now mom sacrificed sleep she would wake up at three o'clock in the morning sometimes many times most of the time um, mom was a hard worker what a hard worker um, I, I was so inspired by her work ethic and how how diligent she was and here's what's super cool is as as things got a little crazy in Los Angeles and my parents decided you know what it's a better place to raise our family uh, in the Seattle area my mom and dad picked up and like all my foreign friends that moved from other countries across the Atlantic my mom and dad moved 
My mom and dad moved too. And you know what? Part of the American dream is you have to have the courage. You have to have the courage to be a pioneer. You have to have the courage to move. I think of the pilgrims who who got on a boat and didn't know if they would survive the boat trip, who didn't know if they could survive the first winter. And in fact, the, the founding fathers of America are pilgrims. Half of them died in the, within the first year. I, I'm so inspired by the pioneers, you know, the Lori Ingalls of the story, the, the pioneers who went from the East Coast. They went from New York. They went from Ohio. And, and they crossed this great country. They crossed the wilderness. They, they crossed the Mississippi to get to Oklahoma, to get to Nebraska, to get to Texas. Why? So that they could own their own land. They could be landowners. And you know what? They died. The travel was, was hard. They had battles with Indians. But they were willing to take the risk. They were willing to move. When they moved, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have the internet. When the pilgrims moved from, from England, there was no going back. They weren't going to see their family and friends ever again. When pioneers moved from, from you know, Pennsylvania and, and, and Connecticut and they moved to Oklahoma, they weren't going to see their families again until the trains came. But you know what? Sometimes that's what you got to do. And I watched my own family do that. And then I watched my family rebuild from scratch from ground zero again. Now, this time we had some money in the bank and this time we had expertise and we had knowledge and we had a track history. Um, but, but it was still, we were the new kids on the block and mom started that business again and rebuilt it and had 25 people working for her and making six figures and working from the home and having the best uh, hospitals in the Puget Sound area. Well, I hope you've been inspired by some of these stories. Um, of course, there's more detail. There's more depth. And so that's why we want to take an hour. We want to take however long it takes to, to interview uh, different people so that you can understand that it doesn't matter if you're a pet store owner, if you're a, a, a fast food chain owner, if you're a pizza shop owner, a dry cleaner, a re auto repair mechanic, if you take the path of the military or you're a gardener or at home medical transcription, it doesn't matter. You can start from scratch. You can start with nothing. You can independently make it. Stop focusing on what you're not and focus on what you can be. Stop focusing on what you don't have. Start focusing on what you can have. Stop focusing on the skills that you don't have. Stop, stop focusing on the disadvantages. My, my coach in college said this. You know what? Life is not fair. Don't blame me. Life isn't fair. Some were born fast. Some were born tall. Some were born stronger. Some were were, 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 were born with better eyesight. Everybody has a different skill. And so in sports, we see this all the time. There's no equal starting point. 
Nobody starts at an equal starting point. That's a lie. That's a myth. And you've got to get that out of your mind. Your mindset that woes me, that I'm a victim. No, there is no victim mentality. You take your experiences and you press on. Forget what is behind and, and press forward to what lies ahead. The American dream is living. It is active. People are doing it today. Get in your car right now. Drive around in every single independent business you see. That's the American dream at work. Ask the owners that, that you do business with. Ask, you know, I buy wood from an independent uh, owner, John Morris, you know, from TRM Lumber. I, I go to a hardware store, Johnson's Hardware. You know, that's Brad Johnson. You know, I get my pizza from, from you know, Christian Buck and Cascadian Wood Oven Pizza. Talk to these people. Hear their stories. Be inspired by them. It wasn't given to them. They had obstacles. They had trials. Do, do not let anybody tell you that you can't make it. Right now in America... We keep hearing that, that, that racism is, is this cloud. This cloud of what? That you can't make it? Well, then how did Oprah Winfrey make it? How did Barack Obama become president of the United States of America? You can make it. You can be whatever you want to be. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter uh, if you're born rich or poor doesn't matter if you're born in the hills of Appalachia. doesn't matter if you were in, 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 in Tahunga or South Central LA or Compton. It doesn't matter. You can work hard. Yes, you will fail. Get back up. Get back on the horse. You know what? Rally together. Rally together with your family. Come up with the vision. Come up with the dream and move forward find friends find if if nobody around you thinks like you then you go find somebody who thinks like you and team up but live the american dream there isn't a place on earth where you have a better opportunity to create not a job not a business to create a life to create a life you know what we do professionally it really is a major part of our life it's it's where we work it's where we spend our time with it's where our our kids probably work it's what our kids are exposed to and so you're not just creating a job you're not just creating an income you're creating a life you're creating a life's journey and so don't believe the lies you're free to try to become anything you want that's my story that's millions of people's story. And I want you to know that you can go from good to better to best and beyond. And so be encouraged.